But in Joshua 7, we turn there now and we will talk about our theme for the year and now we take possession. And I pointed out to you the, the tremendous importance, the unbelievable significance of what happens to you when your spiritual covering is elevated to another level. And they begin, the spiritual covering begins to take possession of the destiny and promises that God has. This church has a destiny. We're in our 69th year. We didn't start yesterday. And I'm the fourth pastor. I've been here longer than any of the others. I'm in my 31st year. But this church has an incredible future. It's going to be around long after I'm gone by the grace of God. Amen. Your children are going to run this church in the future. They're going to be the leaders and they're going to be the ushers and, and they're going to be the, the, the praise team and the musicians and, and so forth. The Sunday school teachers, we're going to impact people. We're right across the street from that huge new school and complex and sports center they're building. Thousands of families are going to be impacted by where God has put us. And what's amazing is when we bought that property, there was nothing going on out there. There were even folks that thought I was crazy to buy out there because there was nothing happening. But we're taking possession now of our promises, our destiny. And when we do, you, because of your connection, get elevated at the same time. And don't be surprised at what happens in your life, your ministry, your marriage, your finances, and so forth. But... At the same time that we move and take possession, there's also something else that we want to consider, and that is there is a process in possessing your promise. It's not something you just, okay, I'm moving out today and I'm moving in tomorrow in my new location or promise. No, there's a process. And when we look at the process of Israel possessing their promised land, there's remarkable comparisons to be drawn from what they walked through, the process they experienced. And there is a process that is there that becomes visible once you begin to study that. And that process is very similar to the process you go through. In fact, the first three cities you come to, which are Gilgal, Jericho, and Ai, there is remarkable information that is there. You can pretty well tell the story of your process that you will have to walk through by just looking at what happened with Israel at those three different locations. We've talked about the first, Gilgal. No need to visit that again. If you were not here, get the podcast or, or get something, a CD from, from the ministry, tape ministry there, bookstore. We've talked about Jericho and its significance. They didn't make the walls of Jericho fall because they marched. It wasn't marching. Marching is not going to affect a wall. But their obedience to God... And the strat, their willingness to follow the strategy God gave them caused there to be a release of something in the supernatural dimension. And I will tell you this, you don't want to live your life without that supernatural component. Not when you can have it. Amen. And it is available. We've moved on to AI now. And after this mighty series of victories against Og of and the, uh, on the other side of Jordan, Sihon, then the victories that they won at Jericho, this impenetrable city, mighty towering fortress with walls that seemed to stretch straight up to the heavens. Nobody could have, could have won and broken through was the conviction and belief of the people of that day 
against Jericho. It stood right smack dab in the middle of the road. They had to go down to inherit their promised land. You will have a stronghold that you have to overcome in your own life. But we've moved beyond that. They conquered Jericho because of God's supernatural assistance. And then they came to Ai. And the mighty military machine that was on such a roll ground to a lurching halt. And they were defeated by a city whose name means ruined heap. That's what it means. It was, it was a mess. It, they didn't even have an army. But they were defeated. The mighty army of Israel was defeated by Ai. In fact, when the spies went out to look at Ai, they said, we don't even need the whole army. You just send two or 3,000, we'll roll over this like it's not even there. But they didn't. And what should have been a speed bump became a stumbling block. They ground to a halt and were able to proceed no further. And we read this in Joshua 7, 1 through 9. The children of Israel committed a trespass regarding the accursed things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, the son of Zabdi, the son of Zerah, of the tribe of Judah, took of the accursed things, so the anger of the Lord burned against the children of Israel. Now Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is beside Beth-Avon, on the east side of Bethel, and spoke to them, saying, Go up and spy out the country. So the men went up, spied out Ai. They returned and said, Do not let all the people go up. Send two or three thousand. Attack Ai. No need to weary everybody. The people of Ai, a few. Verse 4, 3,000 went up, and they fled before the men of Ai. The men of Ai struck down about 36 men, for they chased them from the gate as far as Shibarim and struck them down on the descent. Therefore, the hearts of the people melted and became like water. Joshua tore his clothes, fell to the earth on his face before the ark of the Lord until evening. He and the elders of Israel cast dust on their heads. An extraordinary sign of intense grief and anguish. And this was Joshua's statement to God. Alas, Lord God, why have you brought this people over Jordan at all? to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites, to destroy us all that we had been content and dwelt on the other side of Jordan. Turn to somebody and say, I will not stop until I receive my inheritance. Would you do that? I'm not stopping short of my destiny. But Joshua is now, now willing to to forfeit his future destiny and cross back over. Why'd you, why'd you bring us? We'd, we should have stayed there. Oh Lord, what shall I say when Israel turns its back before its enemies? For the Canaanites and all the inhabitants of the land will hear it and surround us and cut off your name from the earth. Then what will you do for your great name? I want to speak this morning from this subject. God is into do-overs. God is into do-overs. Lord, I ask you to talk to us right now for these next few minutes. Open your word to our understanding and impact our lives with the power of your word. And everybody shouted and said, in Jesus' name. One more time, in Jesus' name. I've already pointed out, I did this last week, that some of the really important principles at AI are the ones that are not so apparent. Everybody focuses on Achan. When really there are some other and very significant other things, I might add, that we need to see there. Number one, at AI we learned that we really do need God all the time and in everything. 
They thought we needed God at Jericho. We don't need him at AI. We got this. We got it. They didn't have it. Number two at AI, we learned that as believers, we're all in this together. They, their assessment was, we don't need the whole army. Give us two or 3,000 men. No need to wake everybody up. No need to get them out in the sun. No need to polish their armor, get in formation. You guys stay home. We got this. They divided the body. Number three, at AI, we learned to pray first instead of later. At Jericho, they prayed, then they fought, and then they won. At AI, they fought, then they lost, then they prayed. You're going to pray one way or another. Either before and when or after you've lost. Number four, we also learn at AI to not be filled with pride and arrogance. They got too cocky and thought they had it under control. Today I want to talk about a few more of the less obvious principles that we should see in AI. Number six, at AI we learn that disobedience will not only slow you down. It will always hold you back from being where you could and should be. How many times have people told me in the course of conversation and counseling, Pastor, I feel like our marriage should be much further than it is. I should be much further down the road in my career, my business, whatever, my ministry, but something's holding me back. I cannot say emphatically enough that Israel ground to a standstill because of Achan's disobedience. They didn't even know he had been disobedient. We'll get into that another time. Their march to inherit the promised land lurched to a halt. The mighty people of God with their incredibly successful army got stopped dead in their tracks. They should have been moving on to the next city and the next and the next and the next. But a little bit of AI what should have been just basically a stepping stone, became a huge stumbling block. Disobedience kept them from being where they should be. When I make a statement like that, I'm keenly aware, I'm very cognizant of the fact that probably some of you are measuring where you ought to be right now too. And the truth of the matter is that disobedience will always hold us back from where we need to be. I wish I could hear an amen. We've been taught in nature that the shortest distance between two points is a straight line. We've all, we were taught that in school. Every one of us were. I want to tell you that in the kingdom and in nature, that isn't always true. Let me explain. We've been told that the earth is round, the round planet, right? Okay, guess what? It actually isn't. And no, I'm not one of those that believes in the flat earth. Amen. That if you walk out too far, you'll fall off the edge and that the moon landing was actually filmed in a Hollywood studio. It is a hoax. I don't believe that. I believe Neil Armstrong really marched on the moon, really walked on the moon. But no, the earth is not round. It is actually what is called an oblate spheroid. That simply means that instead of being completely round, it's flatter at the poles and it budges at the equator. Around the earth, particularly at the poles, there's a gigantic river of wind that flows in certain directions at several miles above the earth. It's called the jet stream. And the jet stream can be very powerful. It's more forceful at certain times of the year than it is, than it is at others. Not only that, the jet stream can change its location. It moves. It's a movable river in the sense of it can shift from north to south. And it's not like a river that's hemmed in by earthen banks. It's, that's geographically fixed in one place. 
the, the jet stream is not like that. It has been recorded at speeds of 200 miles plus per hour. And it is usually stronger the further north you go. Now, the reason I know a little bit about this is because, as you know, I spent a lot of time flying to Europe and you have to drop down to Africa. You go north and then you, you go south. And so I'll stop in Amsterdam. And I've watched the route map that is in the, uh, that's on the TV. I don't watch all this. I'm, I'm not against it. I just, I'm bored silly when I watch television. I'd rather read and study. And so I put my screen on the route map so I can see where we are. And it gives you data like your, how many miles an hour you're flying and so forth. But if the jet stream is flying, let's say, is moving, let's say, 150 miles an hour, and you get it behind you and you fly farther north to get in the jet stream, then if the plane you're flying on, say a 777, is going 575 miles an hour, because of the 150 miles an hour that is now pushing you, you're actually going 725 miles an hour. Now, this is significant because the sound barrier is broken at 767 miles an hour. And if you will watch that flight map, when if you ever go on a flight internationally, it can it can really it can it, it can it can you can really fly. I mean, you can, you realize you're moving fast. One night, this, I'm not making this up. I looked up at the route map. We were going 21 miles an hour under the sound barrier. 22 more miles an hour, we would have broken the sound barrier. And the captain said, the jet stream is very strong. I mean, it seemed like I had just tried to go to sleep when we were landing. Amen. We were, whoa. You may not realize it, but the same thing exists in the spiritual dimension. Because of that jet stream, sometimes what we will do, instead of flying direct from Amsterdam to Houston, we actually will hop over in the Arctic Circle, will drop down the Hudson Bay in Canada and then straight down into the U.S. That is not the shortest distance between two points, but it's the shortest distance in terms of time. I need you to realize that disobedience makes the jet stream push against you. But obedience causes you to get in the river and causes the wind to be behind your back. Somebody in the building say Amen. This is what happened to the disciples in John 6, 19, when they had rowed three to four miles, and they were only halfway there at this point, actually a little less than half. The Bible said they saw Jesus walking on the sea and drawing near the boat, and they were afraid, but he said to them, it is I, do not be afraid. One of the synoptic gospels, the parallel gospels, also adds that the wind was contrary to them. It was blowing in their face, they're rowing. They're having a hard time. And then Jesus steps on board and looks what, look at what happened. Verse 21, then they willingly received him into the boat and immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. Do you see that word immediately? I need you to say immediately. I need you to say it one more time, immediately. I'm talking to somebody you're having to fight to get to where you're going. But when you line up with a plan of God for your life, you are suddenly there. Amen. God can cause a multiplication 
effect to occur, a significant increase in factors that, re, that come about that, re, that resolve themselves with you suddenly being where you've been trying to get for years. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. When you walk in obedience, things can happen. You will eat the good of the land. You will get to where you're going. And the reason I'm preaching this way is I feel this morning that there's somebody that's hung up right now. You're stalled. You don't know why. Look at this. The apostle Paul chided the church at Corinth because one was saying, I'm of Paul and I'm of Peter and I'm of of Apollos. And Paul chided them and said, look, all of this fraction, this division that exists, these fractions, the division in the church, he said, you're wrong, you're carnal. He said, what you ought to be is you ought to be of Christ. Forget all this stuff. And, and I want to say this. We have never lived in a more divided time in my life than right now. Churches are fractured. Hello, let me, let me talk to you. A nation is fractured. People are against people. Everybody's for their cause. And what we're supposed to be is for him. Amen. Because if we elevate him, he'll get the, the rest of it straightened out. What America needs is a revival. What we need in this nation is a visitation from God Almighty. What you need in your life is the presence of God on your life. You need the wind blowing behind you, not against you. Paul chided them, and this is what he said in 1 Corinthians 3. 3, are you not carnal and walk as men? Whoa, what else am I going to walk as? I am a man. And you go to other translations, and this is what they say, mere men. Are you not walking as mere men? That verse would make no sense at all unless what he's suggesting to them is you know good and well, guys, that when you're devoted to him, you're walking at a supernatural level with an empowerment that you don't have. But what you just did is you stepped down to mere manhood. Climb back up into obedience. Because when you do, you get in the supernatural dimension again. And God can make you get to where you've been trying to go for years in a matter of minutes. Somebody give God some praise right now. That's a word for somebody. Immediately. I need somebody to say it. Immediately. That's a word for somebody right there. I feel it in my spirit where you've been trying to get for a long, long time. You're getting ready to get there and you're going to look around and say, my God, I don't even remember passing. How did I get here so fast? It's because when you step into the river, it carries you faster than you can go by yourself. Six point at AI, we learn how to recover from failure. Boy, did they fail. Did they ever fail? Flat on their faces, they messed up. The question is, when you, you've messed up and hurt yourself and others, how do you get back on track? How do you get going again in the right direction? Is it even possible to do that? Because, look, I'm going to be real honest. There's not a person in this building that's perfect. Oh, I know you sit out there and you look like you're all perfect and everything and hallelujah, praise God. You know, doesn't that halo get hard to hold up after a while? Don't you get tired? You have to polish it every Sunday before you come to church and you know what I'm talking about. 
and then I, I have you do this every once in a while. Just do this. Would you, would you, you humor, humor me? Just kind of reach behind you and do this. You feel that? That's a shoulder blade. That's not an angel's wing. Remember that. Amen. Remember what I'm telling you. It's not an angel's wing. Failure is not supposed to be final. They failed at AI, but at AI they learned that God can help you recover from failure. Here's what you need to know. God allows do-overs. God allows do-overs. When you've messed up and blown it, don't you quit. God allows do-overs. Four quick points that you need to know on how to recover from failure. First, determine that you're not going to give up on yourself. That's what the enemy is trying to get you to do. It's not that God will ever give give up on you. He never will. I'll never leave you, never forsake you. No, never, no, never, no, never. That's what it says in the original text. God will never forsake you. Do you know what you'll do? You'll forsake yourself. You'll forsake your own destiny and future. Don't quit just because you blew it, messed up, hurt somebody. Don't quit just because it's difficult to fix what was damaged. And yeah, it's going to be difficult. No matter how dark it gets and how hopeless it may seem, do what they did at, after the failure at AI. They prayed. Because when you pray, oh, hear me. It's an old saying and it's been around the church for many years, but there's a lot of truth in it. Prayer really does change things. Prayer really does change things. Are you facing an impossible situation? Prayer really does change things. Amen. Don't accept defeat. Pray and watch what God will do. He'll give you a strategy to repair what was broken. Number two, how do you fix it? If you want to fix it, you must be honest with God. (laughs) Don't try to con God. (laughs) Achan's hiding in his tent, pretending everything's okay. I kind of believe that if he had come out right at the beginning, I really do believe this, knowing God like I know him, that he's so merciful full of mercy. David had a radical revelation. He said, blessed is the man to whom the Lord imputes not iniquity. Oh my God. That's in the Old Testament before grace. Had Achan stepped up and said, guys, I really messed up. You know, the reason we failed is because I took this, this wedge of gold and 200 shekels of silver and this Babylonian garment and hit him in my tent. And I really wish I hadn't done that. And I'm so sorry. You know, I kind of believe God would have forgiven him. But he didn't. And Israel is now wallowing in their defeat. And they're having to to seek the face of God. And I want you to understand that one of the reasons we don't prosper when we live in disobedience is that we do what Adam did. We hide from God. Adam, where are you? (laughs) Where are you? And and we, we get this idea that God's, Adam, I can't find you, man. You really did a good job hiding that you... Is that you behind that tree? No. Where were you at, Adam? God knew good and well where Adam was at. He didn't ask the question so that God could get the answer. He asked Adam the question, where are you? So Adam would know the answer. You're not in my presence anymore, Adam. Amen. It makes it where even if we're being blessed, if we're in disobedience, we don't enjoy our blessing. You can have the best marriage in the world, greatest wife, greatest husband, best job, greatest business, thriving ministry. How many people do you know that right in the middle of their blessing, they're unhappy? 
They're unhappy. And usually when your marriage is not satisfying, guess what? It isn't the person you're married to. Not my brother nor my sister, but it's me, oh Lord. Standing in the need of prayer. It's not the one that you're married to. When your job is making you miserable, very often it isn't even the job because it's like they say, you quit that one, go to another one, you're miserable there. And so they say, no matter where you are, there you are. <laughs> you take your miserable self to the next job, you're going to be miserable there too. You take your miserable self to the next marriage, you're going to be miserable. In the... What you got to do is fix this in here. Amen. Listen to what Leviticus 26, 36 said. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. And they shall flee as though fleeing from a sword and they shall fall when no one pursues. Did you get that? How much noise does a shaking leaf cause? And yet you hear a shaking leaf. Oh my God, about to find me out. And you're running, shaking leaf. Listen, the problem isn't the leaf. (laughs) The problem is, is in us. How do you think Achan felt cowering in that tent whenever Israel was defeated? How do you think he felt whenever God called Joshua to begin to look through the camp to find out who it was? What do you think Achan was thinking all this time as God is going through the ranks and file and going from tribe to tribe? So to fix it, you got to do what Joshua did. You got to address the problem. And listen to me, there's a little bit of Achan in every one of us. Oh, we don't like to admit that. You notice that you got so quiet just then? I had a whole six people say amen. There's a little bit of Achan in every one of us. Wants its own way, wants to be disobedient, and Achan has to be dealt with. And ladies and gentlemen, if you're going to get in the middle of that supernatural river, that will cause you to suddenly be propelled immediately to where you're supposed to be going. And you don't want to be held back anymore because after all these years, you should be further down the road than you are. You're going to have to talk to Achan. You're going to have to address him. Number four, you've got to work to repair what was damaged. You have to work to repair what was damaged. Yes, you, God will help you, but you're going to have to roll up your shirt sleeves. And here's the real problem. Some of us are wondering if it's too late to do that. And we're going to have to settle for an inferior relationship with God, an inferior marriage, an inferior business, inferior finances, because this is the way it works. We think that's all we deserve. We think that's what we've earned. You ever hear of the Japanese art called kintsugi? Anybody ever hear of it? Let me see your hand. Anybody? Kintsugi is when they take a valuable bowl. In Japan, as you know, the culture goes back for many centuries. In fact, the oldest company in the world was founded in the 700s in Japan. It's still in operation today. Their culture goes way, way back. And they had these valuable ceramics, these potteries, their bowls, their vessels, their teacups, their urns, there are pitchers, and sometimes they break. There are a lot of earthquakes in Japan. They don't do what we do if something breaks and throw it out. 
they develop the art of kintsugi, and that's when they take it to a special craftsman, and he takes the broken pieces and fits them back together and puts gold between the broken pieces. And the vessel is more valuable after it is broken than it was before it was broken. Give God some praise right now. Let's take a praise break. Let's take a praise break and worship a God who allows do-overs. Would you praise him right now? Hallelujah, hallelujah. And as you can see, one of the things in Kintsugi is they do not hide the scars. We hide ours. And every time we hide them, we call attention to it. You put that bandage and cover up that wound and everybody says, that guy's got a wound. Because we're hiding it. But they put it right out on display and let the gold show where the brokenness used to be. You can turn your test into a testimony. You can turn your mess into a message. Yes, you can. God can pick you up and put the pieces back together because he allows do-overs. Do you hear what I'm saying? He can fix your marriage. He can fix your career. He can fix your life. He can fix your ministry. Yes, God can do it. And you know what it becomes? It becomes a witness to everybody else. Everybody else that's going through a broken place. Christianity that hides its imperfections helps no one. Let God turn your brokenness into something beautiful. And the seventh thing that I would say, lesson that we learned in AI, the first one was simply this, and I'm talking about today at least, I gave you four last week, is number one, don't give up on yourself. Well, let me go back. Number one, we learned that God will help us to recover from failure. So you don't give up on yourself. Number two, we also learn another very important thing. And that is that AI, wrongs can be made right even though some wrongs will cost you more than you want to pay. That's why you should avoid them. Avoid them. At AI, wrongs can be made right even though some wrongs will cost you more than you want to pay. You see, that's point number seven. And when I I said number two, I mean the second one I'm giving you today because or the third one I'm giving you today, actually, because I uh, gave you four last week. And so AI, at AI, wrongs can be made right, but some of the wrongs that we do will cost us more than we really want to pay, and that's why you want to step away from those things. Disobedience never is what you think that it will be. Thirty-six soldiers died because of Aiken's disobedience. Now, here's my point. Do you think those 36 soldiers got resurrected when the problem of Achan was dealt with? You think they were returned to their family, their families? You think their kids had daddy come home again? You think their wives looked up through the door of the tent and saw their husband coming? It cost them something. Oh, that God fixed the problem with AI And I'll deal with that in just the last couple of minutes. I'll tell you what God did. But in terms of what it cost them, it still cost. And here's my point. The longer you go on in disobedience, the more interest you pay on your your debt. 
Oh, Lord, don't you get a 30-year mortgage if you can avoid it? I'm serious. I'm talking to you. Why would you want to get a 30-year mortgage and pay for your house three and a half times? If you can avoid it, don't get a 30-year mortgage. Why do you want to carry a debt that, can, that has the kind of interest attached to it that disobedience has? There's some fat cat driving a limo on Wall Street because you're paying for that house three and a half times. And the devil rides in style because we want to live in disobedience. The point is God forgives and he heals, but sometimes the wounds affect other people. And it's better to not even go there if we can avoid it. Now, can God heal all of that? Yep. I just told you through the art of Kintsugi, you can take what was valuable and make it more valuable. And I close because I want you to understand, do you know that right now there are unscrupulous art dealers in Japan that have been brought before courts of law because they have learned that since the vessel is more valuable after it was repaired, once it was broken, they take perfectly good antiques and break them and sell them after they're repaired. Listen, you don't let the devil break what you've got. Amen. Whether it's your life, your ministry, your finances, don't live in disobedience. And I conclude with this eighth point at AI. We learn that God can turn loss into victory. I wish somebody give God some praise because it's not over just because the devil said it's over. It's not over just because you suffered a defeat. Get up and trust God. God can turn it around for you. Yes, he can. God will fix your marriage. God will cause your business to thrive. Your relationship with God can be wonderful again. Would you stand with me right now? I want our prayer counselors to come. I'm talking to people, and there's somewhere in this room, there are people that, and I don't know who you are, but you've experienced a terrible loss in your life, and you've lost something that really matters because you messed up somewhere along the way. And this is the way that we close our services if you're visiting with us. We just ask everybody to come draw near for a final prayer, and we're going to pray over all of you. And so if I'm talking to you, you can come forward and Nobody ever need know that you're the person that God is speaking to right now. But you know. You know. And that's what matters. Boy, I need God in my life, don't you? You say, but I'm a Christian. I don't mess up. (laughs) Really? Really? You know why they put an eraser on a pencil? Are you one of those that does math problems with an ink pen? Not me. If I've got a math problem to do, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find me a pencil somewhere. Well, I might need to erase something. I might make a mistake. Amen.